One of the things that was cool about Leon um, in his baptism is several weeks ago, I had the opportunity after a service where God just really spoke to him in his heart to sit with him on the back row back there and pray with him. And um, he was in a where's God season with the loss of his wife and uh, was just talking about how tired he was of feeling like he had kind of been trying to go this alone. And um, it really ties into what we're going to talk about this evening. We have been in a series where we're asking the question, where's God? And the truth about our lives as a Christian is that sometimes God seems absent. Sometimes he seems like he's missing in action. Sometimes, maybe even worse, like he doesn't care. That he's just uh, apathetic to our, to our issues and our concerns. C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest Christian writers of the last century, described his own where's God moment like this. Where's God? Go to him when, you, when your need is desperate, when all your other help is vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face, the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside, and after that, silence. Where's God? And we've learned in this series that if you have felt like that, at different times in your spiritual journey, that you're not alone. And in fact, that's somewhat normal in a, as a part of the spiritual journey. We learn that all through history, the history of God's people, going all the way back in the Old Testament, there have been seasons where God's people have said, where's God? We looked at the story of Job a couple weeks ago, a guy that had a dramatic where's God season in his life. We learn there's a very critical question that you have to ask as you're in, when you're in a where's God season, and that is this. Will I allow the circumstances of my life to determine what I believe about God, or am I going to allow God to determine what I believe about the circumstances of my life? We learn that that's a choice, and that Job chose to believe, to choose to allow, allow his belief in God to determine what he believed about his circumstances, and that transformed him. Last week, Jake, our student ministries director, talked about his own where's God moment when his, uh, his father passed away. And he asked these questions. Can he, can God be a part of this? Can he work in this? And will I, will I choose to follow him in the midst of this pain? Where's God? This week we're going to look at the last weekend of this, of this series and we're going to ask the question, where's God when you need a miracle? Some of us need a miracle. We need God to show up in a big way in our lives or in the life of somebody we care about. We might be like the gentleman in the drama whose marriage is crumbling and we need God to show up and do something radical because if it's on the path it's on right now, it's never going to make it. Maybe we need God to show up with one of our children. Maybe it's a career situation. Maybe it's financial collapse that we're teetering on the edge of. Maybe it's that health report we got recently and if, if God didn't show up, it doesn't look good. Maybe it's one of those kind of inside struggles that we all have that's threatening to kind of take us over. We all have those moments where we need God to show up, where we need a miracle. If you don't now, you will someday. All of us at times face these situations where we need God to show up. Maybe you're in one right now. Actually, our church is, I believe, facing one of those. In the next few weeks and months, we're going to be 
going through a journey together as a church where the leaders of this church are hoping and praying that God is going to show up in a big way. We're praying for that. But I want to be clear as we talk about this needing a miracle, that this is not a prescription for coercing a miracle out of God. There is no guarantees of any kind of miraculous efforts. God says, this isn't a formula. If you do this, you do that, then God has to show up. Or you manipulate some kind of miracle out of God. That's not the way it works. God is God, and he will do what he deems best for us. We've already seen in this series that sometimes life is just hard. In fact, Jesus said that. Sometimes in this world, life is hard. There is no promise that life will be easy, even for those who follow God. And we don't always see things the way God sees things. And as a loving father will do, we may desperately want X to happen, but God knows X would not be a good thing, so he's going to give us Y instead, because loving parents do that, because they see a bigger picture. And so there's a trust element in this for us. And sometimes there are lessons that we can only learn by going through the valleys of life. And so God, again, because he's a loving father, and he's more interested in our character than he is in our happiness, he will allow us to go through some of these valleys. He won't take us out of them as quickly as we'd like. There is no guarantee to make God show up. But I think as we look at the story we're going to look at this evening, we can learn from his word that there are things that we can do to put ourselves in a posture, if you will, that, in a posture that allows God to show up in our lives, sometimes quietly, sometimes dramatically. But he can show up. So if you have your Bible, let me invite you to turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. If you don't, we're going to put some of these scriptures on the screen. It may take you a little while to find that. Um, I'll give you a little background of this story. You know the story of Moses leading the people of Israel out of Egypt. They get to the promised land. Joshua, this general, takes them into the promised land, kind of conquers a lot of the area. And then we enter the part of Israel's history called the period of the judges. Israel is, is very tribal during that season. Tribes have certain leadership. For the most part, they're kind of nomadic, kind of hill people. And then this guy David, King David, is raised up by God, and he unites all these tribes, and they become a nation, and they grow into a powerful nation, and under David's son Solomon, even more powerful. And then things start to crumble and erode. There's a civil war. There's a north and a south division of Israel. The north quickly is is taken away. An invading army, the Assyrians, come in and just wipe it out. But the South seems to kind of plug along and has its ups and its downs. And we pick up the story in the southern kingdom of Israel called Judah. And there's the the enemies of Judah have kind of united against it uh, to try to take it down. That's where we're going to pick up the story, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, starting in verse 1. After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, with some of the Minuites, came to make war on Jehoshaphat. There's a cool name. Um, In the words of the kids today, he was fat. Anyway, I don't know what that means. Um, have you ever felt like, but this is interesting, all, all these groups unite against the people of Judah together. Have you ever had one of those seasons where you feel like everything's going wrong at once? You know, the car breaks down, the toilet overflows, the kids are sick, the bills come in. It's just like everything at once is happening. That's kind of what's going on for them in this story. Verse 2, some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the sea. It's already Hazazan, Tamar, that is in Gedi. Alarmed, you know, when you face a where's God moment, almost always the very first emotion that you feel is fear. And that's actually normal. 
That's what we should fear, feel in those moments. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. What do we do when we need a miracle? The very first thing, the very first thing we have to do is we have to tune in to God. We have to tune in to God. First thing Jehoshaphat does is he says, I'm going I'm to resolve to inquire in the Lord. And he proclaims a fast. And then the people of Judah come together from every town in Judah. They come together to seek God. When you're in a where's God moment, you have to make a concerted effort to draw nearer to God. You have to. Jehoshaphat declares a fast. What is a fast? It's voluntarily abstaining from food or other things in order to draw near to God. It can, it can be from food, it can be from other things. There's something called a Daniel fast. I'm planning to do a Daniel fast as a part of this journey we're going to go on in, uh, as a church through the month of March. So for the whole month of March, I will practice what's referred to as a Daniel fast, where you kind of cut out the necessities of, of your menu. You know, no coffee. Oh, that's going to be hard. Um, no, uh, no sweets, nothing like that. I'm going to cut out the bulk of, you know, TV. I'm going to, um, you, certain, you cut certain things out. And the purpose of cutting those things out, in fact, in one day a week, I'll do a 24-hour total fast, is, 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 it draws our attention on focusing on God. It draws us into God. It tunes us in more closely. And what you do in a fast is you pray. You pray more maybe than you do otherwise. And we're going to see this prayer that Jehoshaphat models for us. And I think this is an, a, a wonderful prayer if you're in a where's God season of your life. Look at this prayer. Verse five. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the whole new, cor- new courtyard and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand and no one can withstand you. The first thing that he does in this prayer, and if you, this is such a cool prayer. If, you, if you're in a where's God season, I would encourage you to, to kind of try to follow this p- pattern. First thing he does is he reminds himself, you remind yourself who God is. He says, are you not God, the God who's done this, who's, who's in heaven, who rules over everything? Are you not the God that's in charge? Are you not the God who's in control ultimately? Are you not the God whose purposes will ultimately be fulfilled? I mean, folks, we serve a big God. I mean, if we really believe that, then you can say, God, maybe everything is not working out the way I would hoped it would. Maybe I, I don't see all that you see, but you're a big God, and I'm gonna trust you in this. I'm gonna trust that you're for us. I'm gonna trust that you're for me. And in fact, if you don't get anything else out of this message, I hope you understand that God is for you. So that's the first point of this prayer. He goes on, verse seven. Oh, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it, to, give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And if they lived in it and have built, in, uh, and they have lived in it and built a, in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in distress and you will hear us and save us. The second thing is, is he reminds himself what God has done. God, you've been with us in the past. You were there with Joshua when we conquered this land, when we had no army, walked around the Jericho and the walls just came down. You were there. You have showed up time and time and time again in our history. You helped us build this temple, this place of worship to you. You've been with us through war after war, crisis after crisis. You've been with us. And the question we need to ask is, as we look back at the history of our lives, can we see those moments where God has been with us. Remind yourself what God has done. He goes on, verse 10. 
But now, here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they're repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance? O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. The third piece of this prayer is to acknowledge your need. God, God, won't you show up in this? We desperately need you. God, my marriage is falling apart. God, my finances are falling apart. God, my child is making destructive choices. God, my career is going in the toilet. God, I have no control over the situation. I need your help. That's huge. And you're aware God moment. You have to be honest. You cannot live in denial. Sometimes I run into Christians that just kind of have to have, they, th- they think they have to have this Pollyannish, everything will be okay. I can't admit that I'm really concerned or I'm worried or I'm, I'm scared. No, d- face the truth of the situation you're in. Don't be in denial. Don't think it's just all up to me. I have to pull myself up by my bootstraps. Acknowledge your need. He goes on. We do not know what to do. And this is huge. But our eyes are upon you. All the men of Judah with their wives, children, and little ones stood there before the Lord. That's such a powerful image. The fourth piece of this amazing prayer is focus on God rather than the problem. Focus on God rather than the problem. Rather than fuss and fume and worry and fret and wring your hands and lose sleep, they say rather than do all those things, we're going to look to you. It's so easy to think it's all up to us. I tend to be a worrier and I tend to carry things that I don't even know sometimes I'm carrying. And a lot of times that's about control, trying to control our environments. We need to let go, look to God. Again, we as a church are going to be undertaking a journey over the next few weeks and months that that really scares me to death. And I worry sometimes and I stress sometimes and I get uptight at sometimes and then sometimes I catch myself and I go, God, this is your bride I can, I'm not in control of anything. I'm not in control of what's going to happen. Only you can get this done. First thing you do when you need a miracle is you turn into God, tune into God. Remind yourself who God is. Remind yourself what God has done. Acknowledge your need and focus on God rather than the problem. Let's go on. Verse 14. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehazel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Metaniah, I don't know why they give all those names, a Levite and a descendant of Asaph. As he stood in the assembly, there's the key word, he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in, in Judah and Jerusalem, the second thing you need to do when you need a miracle is walk in community. Walk in community. We, he's in the middle of the assembly. All the men, all the the wives, all the kids, all together in community. They're facing this thing together. You are not meant to go go through where's God seasons alone. I don't want to belabor this because we basically said this every week of this series. But that's just the truth. You cannot walk through a season of where's God and and have spiritual health coming out the other end if you do it alone. And I know it takes a lot of courage and we've, we want to be independent and stand on our own two feet and it goes against the way we're wired and all those kinds of things. But you need to be in community, whether it's a men's group, a women's group, at CR, uh, sitting down with somebody at Living Hope Counseling Center in a traditional small group, whatever it might be, you need to step into community. In this series, you've heard different stories. You heard the Kinsers talk about a situation with their child. You heard Jake talk about a situation with his uh, dad. 
you, you heard my wife talk about a situation with our family. And every single one of the things in the stories, you've heard this consistent refrain about the community of people that came around them to encourage, to, prayer, to pray, to support them. You have to be in community. Let's go on, verse 15. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. And this is such a critical verse. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up uh, by the pass of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the gorge at the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. This is my kind of war. Take up your positions and stand firm. And that stand firm phrase, I love this phrase because it actually it, it, um, denotes like quiet confidence. Like, you know, this is God's deal. It's not mine. I'm relaxed. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. The third thing you need to do if you want to put yourself in a posture for God to work in your life is recognize who's in control. And if you do that, it will give you peace. One of the main reasons that wears God moments wear us down like they do is that we try to maintain control. We're not in control. Resign from your position as general manager of the universe. Recognize that God is in control. And if you do that, it will give you peace. But you don't understand this marriage that I'm in. It's on the verge of ending. And I can't get my husband or my wife to to come with me to counseling, to come with me to church, or to do this. That's right, you can't control it. So give it to God. But my child is making horribly destructive choices. You can't control them. Give it to God. But I'm worried about my health. Uh, What about the economy? My company seems to be going down, down, down. Give it to God. Give it to God. We live in the illusion that we have control of our lives. We have such little control of our lives. Accidents happen. Terrorist attacks happen. Most of life is out of our control. Some of you are here tonight, and the truth about your life is that you're exhausted. You are so tired of fighting. You're so tired of working. You're so tired of worrying. You're so tired of living without any margin. You're so tired of not sleeping well. You're so so discouraged. You're just tired. And maybe you've thought about just giving up. Don't give up. Give it over to God, to him. Ask him to be a part of it. And when you do that, he will give you peace. I know in my life, this is a wrestle, the thing I wrestle with. I'm a little bit type A, and I try to you know, keep everything organized. My duck's in a row, and the ducks never seem to be in a row, or my kids. And I kind of vacillate sometimes between panicking and then peace, and then panic and then peace. And I've, maybe that's where all I'm capable of at this stage of my life. But every time I feel like I'm in that panic mode, I just keep going, God, this is your deal. It's not mine. Help me live in peace. You notice, I think there's these, these two key verses, verse 17, or verse 15. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. The battle is not yours, but God's. And then 17, you, you won't have to fight this battle. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Same thing. If you're tired, if you're exhausted, if you're worn out, if your heart is heavy, give it to God. Don't be afraid. What are you afraid of? Don't be discouraged. What is discouraging you tonight? Give it to him. Let God be in control and he'll give you peace.
Okay, let's keep going. Verse 18. Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord, which is just a wonderful picture. Then some Levites from the I don't even know how to say this. Kohathites and Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat said, uh, stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. And this is so key. After consulting with the people, one of the things that I think people run into confusion sometimes is they, they, this idea of letting go with God. It's kind of a, they think of it as a, like a laissez-faire. Like a, this, that's not what this is about. What it means, let go and let God, it's not, um, this is really about kind of saying, God, I'm going to let you be in control, but I'm going to still bring my best to the situation. I'm going to still do my due diligence. I'm going to still think. I'm going to still give my life, my efforts, my gifts, my talents, my treasures. I'm going to give what I have to this, and then I'm going to expect you to do amazing things with what I have to offer. This isn't apathy. This isn't laziness. He, he consults with the people. He seeks their wisdom. After that, he appoints men to sing to the Lord and praise him for their splendor of, the ho- of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army. This is very bold. So the army's getting ready to go out and meet this vast army and what they do, it does is he puts the band and the vocalists up front, which I think is a fantastic idea. Just kill them off first and then, you know, I'll, I'll hide behind him. <clears throat> Saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. The fourth thing you need to do if you want a miracle from God is trust God with a spirit of gratitude. Verse 20, have faith. There's the trust part. Verse 21, give thanks to the Lord. Trust God with a spirit of gratitude. Now think about that. It doesn't make any sense. Be grateful before God actually does anything. That doesn't make any sense. I don't get it. I mean, before he actually shows up. I mean, if he shows up and does a miracle, sure, I'll be very grateful for that. But he hasn't done anything yet. Why should I be grateful? Because you're graciousness, great gratefulness prior is an act of faith and trust. The point of putting the worship team up front to lead in praise and worship is the praise and worship is, is kind of a form of visualized faith. The God, you're saying basically, God, I know who you are. I know who I'm not. I'm going to trust in your love for me, that you are for me. You know I have this need and I'm going to trust that you will show up. So much so that I'm going to put it... Uh, put ourselves out there in such a way that if you don't show up, we're dead meat. And I'm going to be grateful in advance. Gratitude in advance is a tangible expression of faith. And Bible says, faith pleases God. Verse 22. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So we're not exactly sure what happens, but somehow God kind of causes a confusion. The different armies that had united start fighting against one another, and then they start fighting against each other in the chaos of the moment. So (laughs) picture the scene. They don't know what's going on. They're just kind of coming around the hill with the band up front. I'm sure the band is singing with somewhat trepidatious voices and uh, they come around and all of a sudden verse 24 when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground no one had escaped so Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder so not only were they battling against an army that was vastly superior and they didn't have to fight one person but they got to plunder all three of these armies 
And they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder, it took three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley called the Barakah, which actually in Hebrew means blessing, which I think it's a way of saying when you trust God, when you put him in control, when you let him be the guide, he'll bless you. Assembled in the valley of blessing where they praised the Lord. Verse 27, then led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. I guess so. Verse 28, they entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lutes and trumpets. I imagine the band was even more excited than usual. We didn't get killed. Verse 29, and this is the key verse I think of the whole story. The fear, of the, God, the fear of God came upon all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace for, for his God had given him rest on every side. The fifth thing you need to do if you want to put yourself in a position for God to show up in your life is remember that ultimately it's all about God's glory. It's all about his glory. The word that talks about they feared, the people around them feared, is not like the kind of fear we saw earlier. This is more like awe or respect or reverence. God has shown up. And when God shows up, the world takes notice. The world takes notice when the people of God live with a kingdom of God orientation, when they live by faith. And God is waiting to show up in my life and in your life, in the lives of families, in the lives of churches, willing to to live for him in faith because he gets the glory when we do that. One of the reasons Hope's leaders are so excited about the upcoming months here at Hope is because we believe if we really truly let God live through us during this season, it'll be a testimony to the community around us. If the, if the, I believe if the people of God choose to make countercultural decisions about their time and their talents and their treasures to do God's work in amazing ways, it brings God fame, and that pleases him. If you're in a where's God moment in your life, and you need God to show up, there is no more magic formula, and there is no guarantee. But you start by tuning in to God, and there's this amazing prayer that we saw. And then you walk in community, and you recognize who's in control, because it gives you peace. And then you trust God with a spirit of gratitude. And finally, you remember that ultimately it's all about from trying to go it alone? Are you thinking of giving up hope? God does show up and do amazing things according to his timing, according to his goodwill for his glory. But there are some things that we can do to align ourselves with him and put ourselves in a posture to allow some of those things to happen. Jesus knows what it's like to be in a where's God moment. Jesus knelt in a garden 2,000 years ago, facing the cross, saying, God, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. If there's anything you can do, let this situation be done a different way. I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. Where are you? Why aren't you answering me? In fact, on the cross, we know Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? But I think the attitude that he showed in that prayer of God, not my will, but yours. I'm going to trust that you know what's best. Well, even though I don't see and don't understand, I'm going to follow you. Even though that was in the midst of the darkest moment of his life, it led to the resurrection. 
the moment that gives all of us hope, the greatest miracle of all. Though no matter what we face in this life, that we follow a God who has the power to do miracles and the power to change lives. And even though the midst of this, our where's God moment may seem long, he is there. And he is not as silent as we may feel. And if we trust in him, you are not alone. The battle is not yours, it's his. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here this evening and to celebrate the baptisms and to celebrate the story of life change in the Franks family. Like all of us, God, we all have our seasons, our valleys of difficulty, and we all have those times where we need you to show up and those times where we feel distant from you and where you seem silent and we don't understand. We have all had those moments where we have been in that room crying out, saying, God, why me? Why now? Why all of this? Aren't you there? Aren't you listening? Don't you understand? I guess in some ways, it's, it's comforting to know that even your own son felt that way on this planet. But ultimately, that we know that we have to believe, we have to trust that you are for us and that you love us. And your will will be done for our good ultimately and for your glory ultimately. But we can trust that the battle is not yours and if we can give some of that up, we can receive the peace that Gail talked about which will carry us through those where it's God moments to the, until the moments where we see you show up and perhaps do that miracle that we're praying for. God, we thank you for the story tonight. We thank you for the hope that that gives some of us And God, we thank you for the resurrection and the hope that that gives all of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.